Good morning, everyone. I hope everyone's got a good Friday morning going so far. Uh, we're excited to talk about some good stories this week. So we've got uh, a big Amazon acquisition getting into health tech. Uh, we've got a local acquisition from a founder we've actually had on, uh, Podchaser. We're excited to talk about that. And then we've got uh, the bill around semiconductors uh, and subsidizing those plants being built in the U.S. So we're going to talk about that as well. Uh, so let's get Nate and Evan on here and we will kick it off. And while we're waiting on Nate to join, there's actually a pretty good uh, this week in tech history. So I do want to take a second to talk about that uh, on July. What's up, Nate? Good morning. What's up? I've got a good, I've got a good uh, this week in tech history. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go over that. Uh, this week, or no, July 20th, 1969, Apollo 11 uh, successfully landed on the moon. And that's where the, the famous phrase, uh, one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. Uh, that was 69. I'm not going to try to do that math in my head, but that's, uh, yeah, that happened this week in 1969. Three years ago? Yeah, don't make me do that. I think. I'm, I'll, I'll lock that answer in. <laughs> it's crazy to think of the, the progress since that time. I know. I know. Now we're talking about going to Mars. It's pretty crazy. Yeah. I wonder what the first phrase will be when uh, whenever somebody steps foot on Mars. Somebody's going to have to drop some sort of fire phrase. It'll probably be something dumb like, oh, Mars blessing for real. <laughs> they got Dogecoin here. <laughs> All right, let's do you get think, out of uh, Do you think Elon will let whoever's in the aircraft say it, or do you think he's going to say something from Mission Control? That's a great point. I hope he lets whoever like actually steps foot on Mars say it. It'd be kind of lame if it was somebody in Mission Control. For sure. Well, I um, I had also pulled up this exact website and was looking at the tech back as you said it, because I wasn't going to let you get away with another Phillips <laughs> screw. <laughs> Just that. So let's see this. The Phillips said, screw, that was a major technological innovation. And that's just lying to yourself if you're telling, it's, telling yourself it's not. Well, not, not my lane of tech, I guess. <laughs> Good morning, Evan. What's going on? There you go. Where are you this morning? I'm in our co-working office in Boulder. Nice. Good deal. Got some nice uh, calming orange on the wall there. Yeah. Good spot. This is Hope Wall. Oh, Hope Wall sweet. I wish you see. But yeah, yeah it's nice. A good spot. Before we jump into the uh, to the stories, though, real quick, let's just mention our sponsors. We got KY Innovation, the state's uh, innovation program that funds all type of projects throughout the Commonwealth to help innovators, to help entrepreneurs, to help founders. They are a partner for the entire 2022 season, so thank you to them. Render Capital um, is back for for some sponsorships here. Render Capital is a great early stage venture fund um, based in Louisville. Um, we have all worked with them closely in different ways. They're extremely founder focused and a great asset to the community there. So if you're looking to raise soon or just trying to get connected, check out Render Capital. And then Bold Marketing, a great marketing firm based in Lexington. They help founders focus on building their business and not on being in the weeds of marketing. They do websites, video, social, great full service agency there. So check out Bolt Marketing as well. And thanks to our sponsors. Big thanks to them. All right, well, let's dive into some of these stories. So I think the first one we should start with, uh, let's actually start with the the local acquisition that, uh, that just went down. Uh, so this is a guest that we've had on our podcast before, Bradley Davis. Um, he and his company have just been, well, not I guess not him himself, but his company, rather, Podchaser, has just been acquired uh, by ACAST. So that's exciting just because you don't, you don't hear about a lot of acquisitions going down from companies that uh, we're at least started in this area. So very excited to see that uh, Podchaser is, is being acquired. 
Uh, Evan, do you want to give us the initial details on on the deal and you know why that's significant? Yeah, so uh, ACAST is like a competitor of a product we actually use here at Middletech called uh, Anchor. And Spotify acquired Anchor. And so really what ACAST does is it helps somebody distribute their podcast across all the locations people can listen. And so they view this as kind of a logical acquisition because they're going to mix all that distribution with podcast data to help podcasters and companies understand, you know, what content to produce for companies that are buying sponsorship slots, you know, what podcast should they sponsor, should they partner with? Uh, so this is kind of a, a good, I think a pretty good acquisition that makes a, a ton of sense. Um, and podcasting is growing very rapidly. And we see this not only in our brand, but the amount of podcasts that are popping up is increasing and the amount of dollars advertising wise going into the advertising or going in podcasting space is increasing uh, pretty fast. Now, the biggest problem in podcasting space, and I think ACAST is trying to solve is the data around the space. You know, there are several companies like Spotify and Apple that, that do a very poor job of sharing metrics related to podcasts. And so podcasts themselves don't know how to invest in growth and uh, advertisers just don't know what their dollars are getting them as far as ROI goes. Hmm. Um, so it's, it's something that I think, you know, Podchaser might be able to help with a bit. Uh, we'll see. Um, but I think it makes sense. Yeah. And for those that don't know, Nate, uh, do you just want to go over, you know, what Pod, Podchaser does and how we would describe it? Yeah. So Podchaser, um, has a, their, their focus is, they call themselves the IMDB of podcasts. They're a database of all shows that are out there and even gets more granular, all episodes of those shows that are out there. And you can create an account. You can tag yourself as a producer, as a host of a podcast. I mean, it's really just building that, that full knowledge suite around the who and the what of the whole industry. Um, but a big piece of that as well is the analytics. Um, like Evans was saying, um, podcast analytics are notoriously hard, um, for, for creators and anybody else to, to get a hold of. Like you said, Spotify and Apple have some, but those are just for listens on their platform and they don't share too much. Um, so that's where I think Podchaser's real strength is and why I would guess that, that ACAST acquired them. ACAST does distribute podcasts, but they're also trying to become like a full suite for creators, which is what we're seeing all of the software try to do. So not only can you distribute, but they have some editing tools. They have some tools where you can attract sponsors on your podcast directly on the platform. Uh, and their ultimate goal seems to just be like a full service software, the only software you'd have to use for your podcast. And so these analytics, I'm sure, will will help boost up those monetization pieces, um, which will make it a, a much more attractive piece of software for podcasters to use. Yeah. And uh, just to, to kind of go over some of the terms of the deal. Uh, so I'm reading this TechCrunch article about it. It says the deal was initially value, uh, initially values Podchaser at $27.2 million. Uh, though this could raise by a further 6.8 million if Podchaser meets certain performance conditions. Uh, I just think that's super exciting that, uh, uh, you know, a company like Podchaser that, uh, I guess the kind of odd thing about Podchaser, um, which is now kind of the norm is that it's mostly a distributed company. It's a remote company. Bradley, I believe was in Louisville when he founded it, but you should go back and listen to the episode about it because he met his co-founder through Reddit. I'm pretty sure. And Evan, correct me if I'm wrong there. Um, but it's just, it's just an interesting kind of story of how to build a company and, uh, uh, you know, taking it all the way to an exit. So we just wanted to, uh, to touch on those. And Brandon has a good question here. What metrics do we, do we care the most about as a podcast? 
Uh, I guess the easy answer is just listens, but I mean, honestly, we don't even really pay a ton of attention to, to those. Do either, either of you guys have an answer on that? I think another big one for us specifically being, um, you know, a relatively niche focus, um, is where people are listening from and how long. Um, yeah. So we like to focus on middle America. And if we can show that someone is engaged throughout the episode, that's really valuable. And we get some analytics on Anchor from that. I'm not sure if they're just from Spotify or if they're from everywhere, but that obviously could be very different data depending on the source. Yeah. Yeah, it's a little different for us because we are so localized that, you know, listens you know, are not going to be off the chart, but they're very valuable listens because who we've targeted as a brand, but also just because it's it's so local. So, um, but we, you know, we pay attention to different things. I would say uh, we pay a lot of attention to our social metrics just as much as our podcast metrics. You know, I think that right. um, the great podcast brands all really focus on their social and grow that out. Podcasts is like one part of their uh, content distribution on top of, you know, events and video and things of that nature. So it's taken us a while to ramp up and get these other parts, um, but we've been able to, to, to do that pretty well. Yep, for sure. Well, let's move on from uh, Podchaser acquisition and on into this Amazon acquisition. So Amazon has just uh, acquired one medical. It's about a $4 billion uh, acquisition and Amazon is getting further into the health tech space. So Evan, uh, you mentioned you've been following this deal for a little bit. So give us the, uh, the, the rundown on what's going on here and why this is significant for Amazon and, and one medical. Yeah. So I, I've been tracking, uh, I did for a while. I was investing in a healthcare company called Lavago and um, I was tracking other companies that were in that space of telehealth, next generation healthcare. One medical always came up. Um, really what's happening here is Amazon's going after one medical to basically acquire physical locations and allow them to uh, better serve when the healthcare, because they already have a telehealth uh, or so called Amazon Care that they sell to large companies as part of their healthcare benefits. You can just call let them know, hey, I've got these issues. Can you prescribe me something on the phone? Uh, can you diagnose me or do something along those lines of the phone? And they're trying to take it to the next level and get these physical, you know, retail locations. Uh, they're doing the exact same thing here they did with Whole Foods. You can get a presence in all these different markets on the ground. Uh, that totally changes your supply chain, allows you to better connect with that community and, and that subset of customers with Amazon. Um, it's an interesting thing that's going to evolve because I'm wondering how they're going to use the data that they collect on their platform and their patients to provide, you know, unique services or deliveries. Uh, that's where my head goes. I think that's one of the first concerns that, that pops up is, uh, the sensitivity around health data and the amount of data that Amazon likely already has. Um, Nate, what are some of your thoughts on it? Yeah. Um, shameless plug. I have a weekend thoughts about this from mm. a few months ago. I actually wrote it in the lobby of a one medical. That way. Yeah. They're my primary care doctor, but I was focused more on Apple just thinking about, um, you know, health data around their platforms. Um, but go check that out. And my, my solution or, you know, my, my personal kind of, um, what I came out of that with was like, yeah, going to be giving up a lot of data to these companies. But if it could identify a health problem or give me longer quality of life, then, you know, people have my data anyway. So why not? That's kind of yeah. my perspective on it. 
Yeah, I think it'll be interesting to see if there are any counter moves from from somebody like an Apple uh, after this yeah. big acquisition goes through. I mean, I think Apple is leading the way in terms of collecting, you know, personal health data from things like, you know, an Apple Watch or uh, I guess that's prim- the primary one. But uh, I don't know if Amazon has quite the foothold that, that Apple does on that. So I feel like if you can start combining that kind of health data with medical records and, you know, the physical presence of of, uh, med- of doctor's offices and things like that, that's where the true value gets unlocked. Uh, I just, I don't know if Amazon's going to be able to, to catch Apple in that regard. So I wonder, uh, I, I wonder what Apple's thinking about all of yes. this at the moment. I think this puts Amazon potentially ahead of Apple in the health space if they roll all these things out and, and integrate them. But right now, you're right. Apple is ahead of them. They have the Apple Watch, which of course collects millions, billions of, of individuals' data. Um, and Apple has been trying in-person healthcare. They have clinics on their campus. It was a really big program pre-COVID. Then obviously everybody went home. Um, but all of the employees could go to these Apple clinics, have full service healthcare. Um, that was their, their primary, um, version of employee healthcare, um, was through their, their first party clinics. Interesting. But, yeah. Um, but I mean, Amazon, if they have these clinics now with one medical, they have their halo bands, I think they're called, which are like Alexa enabled health bands. Mm-hmm. They have your food purchasing history. If you buy at Whole Foods or Amazon Fresh, like they could take all this data, understand like all these inputs and outputs that your body is is showing and then be able to diagnose things that maybe we couldn't otherwise. That's super interesting. Yeah, I, I go back and forth between the amount of health data that could be collected and utilized. On one hand, it's like, okay, if I can connect like my a smart, weight scale and I can collect all of my, you know, the food that I eat and I can collect all the data on the activity and movement that I do throughout the day. And then I can merge all those things and give access to somebody like a primary care physician. Likely I'm going to receive a way higher quality of care and a way more personalized uh, quality of care. But at the same time, it's just, it's still unsettling to me to, to be giving that much data to a single entity like Amazon. And I think everyone should be a little bit wary of that and at least consider it as we see acquisitions like this kind of move us further down that path. Uh, Evan, do you have any other thoughts about that before we move on to uh, this next story? I would just say it's interesting I want to pay attention to because One Medical is still basically a startup. You know, it's very still a very small company. I mean, they're only doing a little over 600 million in revenue, approaching 700 billion. And, you know, that that's tiny for Amazon. So this is largely just an experiment for Amazon to, when you think of it in those terms, this is a very small acquisition for them. It's, it's big in the grand scheme of things across the industry, but for Amazon acquiring 600 million in revenue, uh, and no, no profit, this company is not profitable, uh, is yeah, nothing to that. Yeah. That's an important point to make as well. Um, all right, well, let's move on to this last story here. Uh, more of a, a United States policy, uh, type of story, a bill that is, is advancing through, I think it just got past the Senate, if I'm uh, not mistaken. Uh, or at least they voted to advance it further um, in the process. But uh, they there's a bill that is trying to get passed that is subsidizing uh, chip manufacturers to build uh, more production facilities in the United States. I think this is a really important story. I think there's a whole kind of narrative around this aside from just chip and microprocessor manufacturing. I think that uh, what's going on in Ukraine has made Americans realize uh, how important it is to bring production of all sorts of things back in house. It's it's become a national security thing, uh, and there's all sorts of, uh, uh, I guess, different um, things that 
microprocessors and chips touch, and we can kind of touch on those each individually. Um, but just to give a high level overview of what this bill is going to do, it's about 54 billion in subsidies for U.S. semiconductor companies, uh, about 24 billion of that 25 or 25 percent tax credits to encourage companies to build uh, new production facilities in the United States. So, Evan, I'll let you kick this one off. Uh, let's just talk a little bit about you know what it means to actually bring production in-house for for things like microprocessors and semiconductors. Yeah, I mean you're starting to see all kinds of benefits. And one small, and one example, it's not a small example, but one example is Apple. Uh, while a lot of their stuff is still done overseas, they brought their chip out, so they own that part of their supply chain uh, more and more as time goes on. That allows them to one differentiate their products, and two. Uh, Build products faster, more efficiently, at better prices. Um, and so, I use that example because if you, you know, treat Apple like a like a if you think of it as a country, you know, I think that uh, we as Americans need to do the exact same thing. Is if we begin to end in house our manufacturing, it makes us more stable. We can differentiate ourselves from, you know, a perspective of maybe military. We can develop uh, weapons that other countries can't because we've in house our own manufacturing and can develop innovative chips, uh, we, can, we can develop innovative um, technologies across all spectrums. And really when we own that in-house, uh, really protecting ourselves from a supply chain standpoint. You know, if we have all the manufacturing in China or Taiwan, and China goes and invades Taiwan, which is a possibility right now, uh, then we're out of chips. You know, that's something that they could go acquire and use as leverage over us to control us. And so um, this is just a really important Thing we're going to be paying more attention to in the United States is you know where we're manufacturing the things that you know make our country what it is, and chips are one of them. Everybody has a phone, everybody has a laptop, uh, everybody has a car. Every car is going to have a chip in it. Every uh, microwave is getting a chip in it. So it's like, well, if we want these things as Americans, then we need to make sure that we prioritize ourselves over the, over other countries. And I don't think that's a bad thing to say. You know, I think everybody's like looking at this from all, you know, the wrong perspective think that we should absolutely look to take care of other countries, but we have to take care of ourselves first. We have to be selfish. That's what humans have to do too. And so it's like, well, let's look at that uh, in that lens to take care of ourselves first. Yeah, I agree with you. Nate, what are your thoughts on this? Yeah, I think this is important. Um, we're just, not only are we relying on other countries, but there's such a shortage of these materials, microprocessors. And like Evan said, they're in everything. Um, that's why cars are so expensive right now. Um, you know, we're, we're getting more and more relying on computers and smart technologies and everything. We need to be able to have these things to continue um, advancing just our, our own personal, as a country, our technology, um, even in a vacuum from other countries. But that, that reliance piece is definitely important as well. Yeah, and uh, I think a good point that uh, Evan called out there just around like uh, weapon systems and uh, really making an example of, of national security one of the uh, examples that I read in the article that I was reading about it is uh, about Raytheon, which is a major supplier to the U.S. military for for different missile systems. And we sent a ton of them over to Ukraine uh, during this whole conflict over there with Russia. And Raytheon uh, uses about 250 microprocessors in each of its Javelin missile systems. And they basically told the U.S. government, we can't resupply the amount that you sent over to Ukraine. And I'm sure that's played some sort of role in, in making sure that this bill advances because it's absolutely a matter of national national security. If, you know, the suppliers that give us our defense systems can't resupply uh, the amount of of weaponry that we've sent over to Ukraine. So 
I think Ukraine has just been a major catalyst for all sorts of talk around this. Uh, I've talked about this in terms of food production, in terms of energy production, and we've seen what it's done to, to gas prices and everything else. Now, of course, inflation, what's going on in our economy, definitely played a role in it. Uh, but I think everything going on in Ukraine has made us realize how fragile a global uh, supply chain truly is and uh, some of the pitfalls of a globalized economy. So we'll keep updating on that. Uh, again, that, that bill has not passed all the way yet, but it's, uh, it's making some uh, major advancements to, to get where it needs to be. Um, other than that, Nate, what kind of weekend thoughts do we have coming out tomorrow? Uh, weekend thoughts tomorrow is by Brad Farley. Um, it's his opinion on how corporations should handle, um, like big corporate statements, um, around current events. Interesting. And Evan, do you mind giving the recap on, uh, the episode we're going to be releasing on Monday with Rivian since I was not able to make that interview? Yep. Uh, so Angelos Takardis. Uh, was the guest on that one. He is a machine vision engineer uh, at Terrivian. So he's uh, in the most high-tech part of uh, a car company right now, which is their uh, autonomous driving arm. And Rivian just went public not too long ago. It's, uh, the major partners with Amazon, and they're basically focusing on like adventure vehicles and delivery vehicles. Uh, and they're you know viewed to be a big competitor of Ford and the Ford F-150. So we'll, uh, we'll see how that, that plays out. But Angelo is a UK grad, uh, went to the coast to work on one of the most high tech technologies there is again, autonomous driving. And so we really tell the story of, you know, what's it like to be at a company like Rivian? How do you get there? And then what's it like uh, going from the university of Kentucky uh, to a company like that? How do we encourage others to do it? Uh, so that's, that, that was the primary focus. Awesome. All right. Well, good deal. Um, thanks everyone for joining. Hope everyone has an awesome Friday and a great weekend and we'll see you next week. Thanks, guys. See you.